trust as an emotion, because we can talk about it as an emotion, is half of the equation. So trust, which could um, range from acceptance, mm-hmm. right? That's a lower level of trust, all the way to admiration. That meets with joy. When trust and joy meet together, that's love. And then with that model, we could love our enemies. Yeah. When someone disagrees with us, we can be curious about them and maybe understand, even if, they're, even if we think that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. We can still love them in that if we if we have you know trust which is acceptance if we can still accept them as a human being as a image bearer of god and still keep our peace not be alarmed by them you know not feel like they're our enemy and that we want to punish them or 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 discard them you can build the heart of a lion with a strong mind and spirit because a lion's natural state is one of safety through courage strength and power. Hi, I'm the shepherd and pastor, Dr. Matt Hook. And I'm the shrink, Dr. Marty Fletcher. This is the show where theology meets psychology or mental health meets spirituality. Welcome to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. Hey, good afternoon, Matt. Good afternoon. I am excited about our topic, but more excited that my daughter Jillian had a baby girl. I know. I love the pictures that you sent me. How, how that's that's just so makes life better. It's amazing. It yeah. changed everything. Do you that. feel those feelings, Matt, that you had like when you had, you know, because babies, you know, everybody mm-hmm. wants to smell them and touch their feet and stuff. It just, you know, you have a baby and everybody's your friend. Yeah. Yeah. Not that we've been out much, but just going over there and visiting. And, you know, we sang the worship song, New Wine, and it says, I came here with nothing. And when we were singing that on Sunday, the baby was born on Saturday, I started getting really emotional, you know, because here's this little yes. seven pounds of a human yes. arrived in the world, naked, crying, came yeah. here with nothing. Yeah. And that's all of us. Yeah. I'm not naked anymore, but no, usually. No, we just want to look good naked. <laughs> I don't know who's going to see. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Hey, so you picked a, a a brilliant topic as usual. You come up with good topics, and um, I'm I'm curious. So we're going to talk about trust today, right? On a lot of different levels. And I was um, before we started rolling, um, I was asking you, how did this get your attention? I was looking at the fact, especially when you look over the last several years. But what is the biggest impediment to us living life in the full? It was what Jesus said. I've come that you may have life abundantly or in the full is how some people translate that. And one of the biggest challenges I see today is just a complete and total lack of trust. Not that there shouldn't be trust muscles exercised or not, uh-huh. but we're, we're kind of working our way through what we believe and what we do about what we believe. How do we put it into practice? And that means individually, which we've been covering like at our church, Dexter Methodist, but it also means now, what does that mean for us in community? How do we as a body of people practice our faith? And the first thing that we're tackling is what is biblical community, let alone any kind of community? And why is the church so susceptible to messing it up? And I think it's a huge lack of trust. And there's things underneath why we trust or right. we trust. Can I set you up with some um, research? Please. Yeah, because so I'm looking at um, the literature and trust in other people in this America has sharply declined since the 1970s. 
And uh, it had historic lows in 2008. Remember 2008? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, but it's been going downhill. Um, in in uh, 1972-74, 46% of American adults reported they trusted most people. So then that started, and that dwindled down to 33% in 2010 to 2012. 51% of American adults reported skepticism in others in 1972 and now that's 62 percent. so we're going the wrong direction 62 percent are skeptical toward other people yeah and uh, you can hear it in people's speech like uh, hey look um i'm not this and then you get to speak because there's no trust it's like saying okay you can trust me i'm going to qualify myself to you you're not going to take me at face as someone who is dealing in good faith right okay seems to be rooted in our time period rather than generational factors too and so we can maybe talk about those factors because, uh, you know, think about what we're taking in. I mean, um, in our education systems, you know, you have some ideas that say you can't trust. Every relationship's a power relationship. So you can't trust males, especially white men. I'm going to mm-hmm. say it because I hear it all the time. I'm going to re- repeat, not all the time, but I've heard it enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also get it in the media. Yeah, there's two sides. So if you have this opinion, I'm going to immediately, you know, register you on the other side, even though you may not, you know, so a lot of the stuff we're projecting on other people as well. You know, I, I, the feeling that um, I don't, I think that you have a motive and it's a power motive behind it. There are so many assumptions that we make. And if somebody sees something differently from us, we assume they are the enemy. We assume they are the other. We assume they are untrustworthy. Exactly. So, so let's define it. Like what, what, when you say trust, what do you mean? I would say trust is, it means firm belief. It means a truth ability and the strength of someone or something. That's good. It's a firm belief. It's in the truth or the strength of someone or something, including an idea. Can I trust this idea? Can I trust? This That's good. Person? Yeah. Because look, when at some point, I don't understand. Like if you disagree with something, it's not like you are uh, erasing them as a person. You know, you're just disagreeing. If someone disagrees with me, okay, there's an off chance, maybe just a slight chance. You might know something that I don't know. And maybe I ought to listen to you. Right. But no, I'm seeing too much that people will defend their uh, beliefs as if you've attacked them in some way, which is very narcissistic, very egotistic. Yeah. Yeah. Egotistical. And, and we need to be responsible for our trust. But the fact is, I think that we pull away and look at the words of the last two years, quarantine, isolate, can't go out, can't trust, got to wipe everything down, masking. Yeah. You know, and we needed to dive into that for a little while till we figured what in the heck was going on. But how many of us have now backed away from everything? And, and technology says you can be completely comfortable. You don't have to rely on other people. And we've ended up this nation of islands. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or tribalism. Uh, which which means um, if I'm in a tribe, because, you know, we want to belong to something, but then why do we need enemies, right? If I'm in this tribe, then, then our, my tribe is like Lord of the Flies or something. Yeah. I just reread that book. It was freaky about two years. Do you know the real story, though? Have you ever looked at the, what it was based on? Mm-mm. I think it's very interesting and it's uh, encouraging. Um, it was just the opposite. There were some boys that were, you know, shipwrecked and um, they got along famously and helped each other and cooperated. Because mm-hmm. I do think this, you know, we have a loneliness epidemic that we talk about a lot on here. 
the way to build trust, because some of this stuff isn't prejudice necessarily, or, or, or some of it's, you know, there's racism, but not all of it's racism. What there is is in-group, out-group, which has more to do with familiarity. You know, I'm more comfortable mm-hmm. if people are predictable or if I have something in common rather than I hate that other group, you know, and that gets confused sometimes. And I learned that at U of M. And this is a little bit, yeah, I guess I'm going to say it. this. Bring it. This is your experience. When I walked into the cafeteria, I assumed everybody would just be mixing. And that's not the case. You know, you'd see a table with African-Americans with a sprinkling of white people. You see the white people sitting together and things like that. And it surprised me a little bit. But now that I'm older and I've studied more, I realize it's not that they hate each other. It's just that they're, they're, they're um, not familiar enough to have, you know, to, to, to feel comfortable. It's awkward. How do you remedy that? Get people together get to know them, start talking and, uh, but, you know, without being self-conscious with a real curiosity about another person and also value other cultures, you know, let's not assume that everybody needs to be uh, a white middle-class person to have a good life. In, in fact, sometimes where, where we export our culture, we also export our illnesses and diseases. So we saw that in Japan after World War II, they started getting breast cancer and other diseases because, you know, they, you know, we imported our, our habits and diets too. So, you know, we have, we have a long way to go. We're not like, we haven't reached the height of, and everybody needs to conform to us. Right. You know, we've hosted children from about 10 different children from mm-hmm. 10 different third world countries who come up for surgeries. They live with us for two months, three months, five months, six months. And I've gotten to visit some of them, some of them I'm still in touch with. And most recently I was in a couple Mayan villages and they are so vulnerable there. It's extreme poverty. And yet at the same time, the community that they have is not perfect, mm-hmm. but the amount of cousins, the amount of relying on each other is something that we as Americans have, have missed out on for yes. the last umpteen years. I'm so glad that you said that, Matt, because I told somebody that and her response was, that's racist. And I, and I look kind of cocked my head, like I'm confused. How would that be racist? We're valuing things that we're missing here and elevating that, um, you know, that that culture like that. So there might be a little racism baked into that or prejudice baked into Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah. It isn't the fact that they're mine. No, no, no. Not what you said. Values. Yeah. Yeah. Not what you said, but what the other person said, like, okay, why, why can't we um, see the good thing? Is is it all bad until they get to, 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 to be us or something? Cause I wouldn't wish that on some cultures. Right. You know, our families are disintegrating. <laughs> you know, I call myself pasty white, which on this podcast for the Patreons, and thank you are all of our Patreons who can watch a video of us versus just the audio. I have so many windows in my office and I have no blinds and I look like Casper the friendly ghost. So I call myself pasty white, but I've had people within our church who also happen to be Anglo uh, say, please don't call us pasty white. Did You, you said you, not them. No, I was talking about myself, right? right. I think right. you you look illuminated. Oh, I look at you right now, illumined. Yeah, the light of Christ. Yeah. Wanted to shine in me. Jesus said that's what we're called to do. So yeah. <laughs> I heard about a statistic about trust in our government. 80% of Americans used to trust the government, would do the right things when given a choice. But the number is now 17% and declining. Oh, say that again. That's... There was a time, and I don't know the year, 80% mm-hmm. of Americans trusted the government would do the right things given the right, mm-hmm. given a choice. But the number is now 17% and it's declining. There's Ooh, something I- about 
trust today missing? Did you see that um, CNN lost 90% of its viewership compared to last year? Wow. So, so our trust in media and look, come on, they've, we've been lied to a lot. Let's not kid ourselves here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We've been manipulated. Oh gosh. You can manipulate data. Here's, oh, here's the okay. ultimate example for those unscientific among us, uh -huh. which is not you, but it's me. If I am standing on a hot, if I'm standing on a stove and one foot is in ice water and the other foot is on a stove, with the burner on mm -hmm. statistically i should be comfortable <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah and we get that manipulated way, that way sometimes i know i know let's not go down too far down that road because i'm seeing it big time and that's a whole different topic right oh, now yeah, the whole where people were misled by oh my god i'll just say this though if you want to talk about the science, because there is no the science, science is a discussion and um, supposed to trust the science. That's what the mantra is, which is an odd thing to say, because scientists don't trust anything. Only no, you're supposed to question everything, right? Exactly. It's, it's a skeptical model. And you're, and, and also, yeah, the no hypothesis, you're trying to do your best to prove yourself wrong. And then when you can't, and then you give it to your friends, you know, your right. colleagues, and then they peer review it. And then, then finally they're saying for now, until um, new yeah. data comes in, we can accept that, you know, something happened here. So I think that's a, a little odd to, mm -hmm. to see that. And also uh, someone talking about the science is really different than looking at the science. Right. Someone telling a story about the science is not the same thing as looking at real data and discussing what it means. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, that was a. No, it's okay. It, it's okay. And it points out the mess. You know, if you've been betrayed by some of your friends, if you've been betrayed by a spouse, if you've been betrayed by your parents, why trust anyone? Yeah, gen we generalize that. There's reasons uh, for that too. When we trust, like when you and I are together, our physiologies are different. There's also some research that I saw in a really good journal too, where um, heartbeats, when they get close enough, synchronize. Wow. Isn't that amazing on that yeah. level? We release oxytocin, which is a bonding hormone, because you and I are so comfortable with each other by now that we, you know, you can joke with me and I, it won't hurt my feelings because I trust you, yeah. right? I know you're not there to hurt me. I have a history where you haven't hurt me. Mm -hmm. Right now, it's a, a little bit different, isn't it, with <laughs> most people? <laughs> it's so true. And yet what we're called to... To trust, yes. To trust and, and to trust in consistency. Uh -huh. And here's why you don't trust. Have you met people? A few. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. People are messed up. From a Christian worldview, we'd say we are sinful. We are not designed the way God intended us to be. We have broken away from that. We are prideful. We're independent. We're selfish. We're unkind. We're inconsistent. And on and on and on. And so the question is a good one. Why should you put your trust in other people? Uh, can I take a shot? Because I know it's a rhetorical. Okay, because here's what. Because you have to love them even your enemies. And in the model that I use, which is Robert Pluchik's research from the Einstein College of Medicine. Mm. So you got to be smart, right? Sounds um, impressive. That, that model. So trust as an emotion, because we can talk about it as an emotion, is half of the equation. So trust, which could um, range from acceptance, mm -hmm. right? That's a lower level of trust, all the way to admiration. That meets with joy. When trust and joy meet together, that's love. And then with that model, we could love our enemies 
Yeah. When someone disagrees with us, we can be curious about them and maybe understand, even if they're, even if we think that they're wrong, mm -hmm. we can still love them in that. If we, if we have, you know, trust, which is acceptance, if we can still accept them as a human being, as a image bearer of God and still keep our peace, not be alarmed by them, you know, not feel like they're our enemy and that we want to punish them or, 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 or discard them, write them out of our lives. Mm-hmm. Boy, that's powerful. And you know, when it comes to pastoral counseling, and I'd be interested in your, the psychological side of counseling, most people who come to see me, or one of our staff, it's the fact that there's some woundedness. Yes, there's some hurt, there's some harm that has happened. And they're coming with an extremely low level of trust. Yes, there's this rebuilding Yes, yes. That's a huge impact. Because here's what happens. If you were hurt and betrayed by the people who were supposed to love you the most, your siblings or peers at school because you were bullied, or your parents because they were hurt too and don't know how to really bond with you and support you, then we'll start to generalize that. Of course we will because we want to protect ourselves from that. But we'll get a lot of false detections. So mm -hmm. some kind people who do want to love us, those people will be very apprehensive about letting them in their lives and they'll miss out. Right. We, we spend so much time talking about how do you deal with these, what we sometimes call negative emotions or traumatic experiences, because they promote fear, they promote trust issues. We've been hurt. It's reasonable if your boss, you know, abandoned you, if your mom left you, if that person gossiped about you, there's so many reasons to be afraid to trust others. But the problem is you shouldn't be afraid to trust anyone. You're on it. We generalize. And so because this person is not trustworthy, I have learned the hard way. I'm going to now apply that to every person that I've ever met. Matt, you just said we shouldn't be afraid to trust anyone. D didn't someone write that there's no fear in love? Yeah. Yeah. John. First John. Yeah. Mm -hmm. John, the theologian, um, wrote that. So if you're afraid of someone and look, your fear might come out as aggression, right? Because those are very closely related. They're yeah. both threat emotion. So um, if you're uh, be feeling aggressive towards someone, you got to check and say, maybe I'm afraid of them because I'm registering that person as a threat. But you right. can't love them until you get past that. You have to overcome that. And look, I, I work on it. I've been really working really hard on loving my enemies. And by enemy, I don't think that anyone's out to destroy me or anything like that. But I'm talking about people who, you know, treat me poorly or criticize mm -hmm. or something like that. Um, and it's not easy to do. It's not See, it's a God thing, not a animal thing. And your animal nature wants to, to run the show there. So we have to, to, to work on. Mm -hmm. uh, and and C.S. Lewis has a famous quote about love uh, and trust ties in with exactly what you're saying. And it's, it's this loving people, especially when you think about trusting people to love at all is to be vulnerable. He says, love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to be sure to keep your heart intact, you must give it to no one. What was, I read that. What, which one is it from? C.S. Lewis, he talks about it in a couple of different places. Okay. Okay. And they keep republishing, you know, themes of yeah. his writing. I probably read it on the awesome internet. Yeah. Yeah. On the so it must be true. Right. No, it was a beautiful thing to say because that's exact to the degree that you love that will be the shadow side of that will be you will in, in equal measure suffer when it changes, like when kids grow up, when you lose a job or something like that, or someone dies, your dog dies, even, you know, the more you love, the more you have to, but that's part of the bargain. 
That's part of the deal. If you're going to fully attach. Right. And you've got to trust others because you're not good at everything. Do you know you? Have you met you? Do you know you're profoundly not good at a lot of things? And there's a lot of things you don't know. And one of the most helpful and freeing things that I've come to grips with over the years is I'm bad at a lot of stuff. And there's a lot of stuff I don't know. And on the flip side of that, I've also come to realize there are people out there who are gifted at things that I'm really bad at. Things I don't know. There are people out there who know them inside and out, which actually provides me an opportunity to trust. So you're talking about humility, right? And Christ had something to say about humility too, didn't he? Yeah, one or two things. Yeah, one or two things. To to be humble. To be humble doesn't mean insecure at all. Matter of fact, it's it's a powerful feeling Mm -hmm. that your gifts and talents are of no threat to me. I can enjoy them. Right. I can appreciate them. I can admire them. Because remember, admiration is trust. Mm-hmm. In Kluchik's model, you know, that's that's trust on steroids, you know, dial it up to 11. You know, that's that's wow. ad, is admiration. So it feels good to admire other people connects us, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And and if you think about it, there are things if you are somebody that struggles with trust, there are things that you naturally do trust. You've just got to apply them in more practice ways. You trust if you put your kindergartner on the bus, they're going to get to school, that they're going to be okay, that they're going to get home. I remember following the bus the first day our oldest went to kindergarten, you know, and it's this incredible trust of a whole lot of people just to make school happen. Uh, Oddly enough, the saddest part in Forrest Gump for me was the end where he's letting his little boy go on the school bus. That was the saddest part for me. Wow. You know, and I, I think it's because you know that that's going to change too. That thing's going to go away, right? And yet we've got to trust each other. We're better together. In most cases, but with, with one caveat, not everybody is worthy of trust. No. Not every, you've been saying that a little bit. I just want to underscore that. You it's shouldn't not, be willing to trust everyone. Let's not that be doesn't naive. mean you should trust no one. And it also means that we don't have uh, to feel any malice towards the person. You can still pray for them and remove yourself from them and maybe even see some of that behavior that used to be in you or maybe is still oh, yeah. in you a little bit so you can uh, identify with them at least, but certainly don't put yourself in harm's way with mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. You know, the alternative of what we're saying is to trust no one. Stay home, be safe. Why would I trust anyone? Why not just forever relationally quarantine myself indefinitely from other people? Because for some of us, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So I, th- I think that you're onto something. I hadn't quite put those together, but it kind of seems obvious now that um, the loneliness crisis is certainly positively correlated with our uh, failure to trust our the institutions, our people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The de- deterioration of trust. Yeah. And it, do, and it doesn't mean that there's some things within our institutions or our society or your systems these days that we should back our trust away from. No, no, we can still take action, but have a soft heart. That's what I'm trying to practice, right? Um, I, and also, I don't assume malice where stupidity would suffice as an explanation, you know, because most of the bad things I did wasn't because I was Dr. Evil or something um, wanting to hurt people. I just didn't know any better. I was ignorant um, or reactive, you know. Mm-hmm. I generally believe people are doing the best they know how. I think you're right. And it took a long time for me to cement that. And how did you arrive at that? Because that's controversial for a lot of people because they're like, no way. Um, they could do better. And, but how did you, I want people to understand that because life gets easier if you b- truly know that and believe it. 
Mm-hmm. How, how, how did you arrive? Uh, for me, it had a lot to do with faith. It had a lot to do with okay. committing to faith. It had a lot to do with putting my faith into action, which means I'm going to trust God, first of all. We can get into that later. Mm-hmm. And if I'm trusting in God first, then it makes it easier for me to be open to other people because I know I'm not outside the the purview of God. So for me to be able to trust people, you know, in college, a friend of mine, she said, there's something you can learn from every single person. So all of a sudden I was like, seriously, the guy who lives three doors down in the fraternity, um, three rooms down, has got something to teach me. Yeah. And it really opened myself up to trusting that there could be something. One other thing that helped me with trust is I'm a, I'm, I'm built relationally. Mm-hmm, you are. I mean, that's all, all of my strengths finder stuff, four out of five of the top ones supposedly are relational. And so isolation, I know that is not my MO. I can, I can withdraw like that. And I do. Yeah. And sometimes I get in trouble. You know, there's a, one of the most famous people in all of the, the 66 books of the Bible was uh, David. And when he was King, he ha- had a time where he sent all of his officers, all of the men off to war and he stayed back. And it was, he decided to stay at home and he found the woman to chill with. Uh-huh. Her name was Bathsheba. And then what? All hell broke loose. People got hurt, damaged, disaster. Why? Because an isolated man is a danger. And an isolated man is in danger. In some ways, it's like, you know what? If do you ever watch animal shows like the old Mutual of Omaha? Oh, I remember that show. Yeah. Marlon, well, what's his name? Marlon. Oh, you know? Yeah, I can't even. Wild remember. Kingdom. Right, right. Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and there's there were always these dramatic moments where a predator was attacking a herd animal. Mm-hmm. And they would show in slow motion and the dramatic music starts up. That's when you know you're in trouble if you're a gazelle. And one of the first things the predator tries to do in order to eat and kill its prey is isolate the prey from Mm -hmm. the herd in order to take them out and to take them down. And I think when we self-isolate from other people, we do half of Satan's work for him. We do, we make ourselves so incredibly vulnerable to, to being taken down. It's, it's such a tempt when I'm most tempted is when I'm most isolated. When do you isolate? If you don't mind telling us, uh, it can happen if you're single. It can happen if you're married. Sure. But when I'm tired, when I'm frustrated, mm-hmm. when I'm literally alone, you know, and everybody's asleep, when I'm traveling, uh, that's when there's a lot more opportunities. When I'm so busy that I don't have time to go on walks with friends, I don't have time to check in with people, I don't have time to call somebody else and say, How are you doing? How can yeah. I pray for you yeah. when I find myself alone? And, and it's unavoidable to find yourself alone. We all find ourselves in isolated moments. Let's make the distinction, Matt, between solitude and loneliness, though, because um, quality matters a lot. So, so someone who's like me who has an introverted side to them, you don't have to push that. If it Don't fight your nature on it, because sometimes that restoration period will enhance the actual you know, interactions that you do have, like you get energized by it because you're an extrovert. 
you're in the right line of work, right? Because that's what we need there. But some other people, um, a little bit will go a long way. So we want to think about quality of that and also right. know when to pull back and, and enjoy some solitude. Oh, gosh, yeah. And, and I have to act one way more, a little more than I am naturally. Yeah, you have a lot of people asking for things, don't you? Mm -hmm. But I know when I get in trouble is when I intentionally create an isolated life for myself. I got it. Yeah. Where it's not healthy. It's not helping you. Right. Right. And I, it's not that I don't need to withdraw. It's not that I don't need downtime. It's mm -hmm. not that I don't need solitude alone time. Mm -hmm. But when I intentionally create isolation and I don't want it asking me asking anybody and I'll lie to their face if I'm not doing well and they ask me if I'm messing up. You know who I think is really vulnerable when it comes to this is leaders. They are. That's been shown. Yes. Leaders, I think, do this the most. When you're a leader, you know, if you look behind you and there's people following, if you're a leader, you are so vulnerable. It's like this double-edged sword. A lot of leaders have gotten in a lot of trouble over the last 25 years when you look at them, including spiritual leaders. I know, they're human. Yeah. And I think the best leaders recognize they're in danger and they're dangerous. You know, the best leaders realize they're a danger. I'm a danger to myself. I'm a danger to other people. So consequently, I've got to act accordingly. And one of the things the best leaders do is they divest themselves of as much power as possible. How do you, what do you mean? Tell me more. About they that. have accountability. They have people oh. running things. They're not running it yes. themselves. That's right. They're not up on a pedestal, which is where people tend to mm. want to put them. They trust others to help them. Yeah. They give yes. away power. They put, they empower the people around mm. them, not so they can keep doing what they want to do, but so that they can be with those other people. And they invite trusted people to speak truth into their lives. Mm hmm. And you may not like it at first, because a lot of times I don't like it at first. So I shut up and don't say anything. Then I think about it and I try to say, okay, th this is a person I respect. Obviously, they're in my life and admire. Maybe you have to be humble, though. Maybe they know something that I maybe don't Maybe they're right. What? Yeah, maybe they're right. Yeah, I think the worst leaders are sometimes the most charismatic. They're dynamic, they're talented. And at the same time, I think that's they're, they're insecure. Here's the trick that I had. Um, I, I rather than being defensive, even if because sometimes that's conditioned, you mm -hmm. know, I try to do this. Um, if this person, you let's say, give me some feedback or something, if, if you can improve me in some way, teach me something, why would I not just be grateful for that? You know, I and, and I know the reason why because um, pride, right? Pride, arrogance, you know, biggest danger. I don't need you. I'm all I, I'm all of me I need. Yeah, you already got it figured out. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm above you. Right. right. <laughs> and I think that's fear too. I think that kind of the, the opposite, in this case, the opposite of pride is fear. Yeah, I think, I, I think so. so I protect myself from everybody else's thoughts and opinions. And yeah, you're trying to control me. You're trying to, or you're, you've judged me, not the mm -hmm. thing you're judging me, you know? Right. Gosh, Christ was such a good model mm. for, for this. I mean, how much more could be thrown at a person and have them still have the attitude that we need to love other people, you know? He completely emptied himself. Yes. God. Yeah. Right. Right. We think if I were God, I'd make at least a few people aware of it. <laughs> well, yeah, and, yeah. He had his moments. Emptied himself of all yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. And, and humbled himself to being with people. 
Yeah, but, and and I think I understand why too. Like where he said, you know, you'll have the sign of Jonah, and because because when I became in 2014, when I came to the faith, there were like two miracles that were broadcast. Like this guy was zipped up in his body bag for three hours. Now you know, like six or seven minutes, and you're brain dead. Okay, wow. this guy, and um, so it, you know, coroner, all that stuff, pronounced dead, and whatever, and he wakes up, and the news covered it too. So it wasn't you know people just making stuff up and then uh, people looked at it and then how many lives were changed by that probably not a lot they forget about it and start doing and i forget what the other miracle was but there have been miracles all over the place mm-hmm. yeah it's not just an ancient thing no it's it's not so true now mm-hmm. what are some of the other impediments to trust that you see in your practice history of abuse, right? So, so someone who has a good attachment, like you are able to attach to people. I know I've known you for years. Why? Because you have a healthy attachment style because you were loved and you're valued. And so now, so your orientation is, I expect that it'll be the exception if someone doesn't treat me that way. Is that fair to say about you? Mm -hmm. If you've been mistreated, um, humiliated, criticized, then um, that orientation, uh, you'll have an anxious attachment style. Oh, here comes a person. Oh, they're getting close to me. Uh, and then subconsciously, the orientation is they're going to hurt me. They're going to let me down. Right. When's the other shoe going to drop? Yeah. Yeah. Because mom and dad can do it or sister, brother mm-hmm. can do it. Then, of course, this new person can do that. And it's very, very hard. Especially if it's people on the inside. You know, because it wasn't like I wasn't criticized or teased or mocked or bullied or whatever. By people you loved who, who were supposed to love you? No, like in junior high. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's You know what I mean? Clueless we, people. Yeah, we've all had that. Done. But, but if you've had some of those central people in your life do that, be aware of how vulnerable you are to the detriments of misplaced trust muscle or isolation, which for a time can be self-preservation and protection for mm-hmm. to back away. Yeah, but you do pay a, a bigger price for that. If you don't if, if you don't back let people, out. Yeah, if you don't let people in, then you pay a greater price because we, we're yeah. not made to be alone like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a great story. It's by Henry Nowen. And I wanted to share it with you and get your reflection on this because cool. it's it's really counterintuitive. Okay. And it's this, at one point in his life, Henry Nouwen became fascinated with trapeze artists. And he wrote these words about an experience that he had. The flying Rodleys are trapeze artists who perform in the German circus. And when the circus came to Freiburg two years ago, my friend invited me and my father to see the show. I'll never forget how enraptured I became when I first saw the uh, rope plays move through the air, flying and catching as elegant dancers. The next day, I returned to the circus to see them again and to introduce myself to them as one of their biggest fans. They invited me to attend their practice sessions, gave me free tickets, asked me to dinner, and suggested I travel with them for a week in the near future. So I did, and we became good friends. One day, I was sitting with Rodley, who's the leader of the troupe, and his caravan talking about flying. And he said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think I'm the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split second precision 
and grab me out of the air as I come to him in the long jump. How does it work? I asked. The secret, Radley said, is that the flyer does nothing. The catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have to simply stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me, to pull me to safety over the apron behind the catch bar. You do nothing, I said, surprised. Nothing, Radley said. The worst thing the flyer can do is try to grab the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's job to catch me. If I grab Joe's wrists, I might break them or he might break mine. And that would be the end for both of us. A flyer must fly, a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that the catcher will be there for him. When Rodley said this, with so much conviction, the words of Jesus flashed through my mind, Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. Don't be afraid. Remember, you are the beloved child of God. He will be there when you make your long jump. Don't try to grab him. He will grab you. Just stretch out your arms and hands and trust, trust, trust. That's a beautiful story, Matt. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's so much in there. Mm-hmm. Surrender. But you won't surrender unless you have enough faith to surrender. Right. right. Faith is confidence. And the trust that we're talking about is really the horizontal relationships that we have with other people and trusting one another. But I think there's something much, much bigger because ultimately our unwillingness to trust one another is a reflection of our unwillingness to trust God. Mm-hmm. You're right. What, what, what the impediment I think is this. We think that the, if we do that and it does go south, we won't be able to handle it, right? That's, that's the problem. That's why people don't want to. I would trust you, but I can't bear a heartbreak. So I am going to push you out of my life. That's where Christianity is very helpful because right. Christianity is far, the way I read it and the way it was taught to me and is being taught to me isn't about, hey, sign up for this because life's going to be wonderful now. You know, feel any pain. No, yeah. it's a way to get through, but there's joy in it too, but that's not guaranteed in any way, not all the way through, right? The yeah. reward might for some people come at the end. Um, and that's the beginning of the reward, but you have to be able to, uh, you know, blessed are those who mourn, right? They'll be comforted. You have to know that you're going to get through it and get out of it and that there's something good on the other side, but you got to be willing to face pain. Yeah. I'm asking a question I haven't really thought of before. Mm-hmm. When people come to me for help in need, are they coming because they have just over-trusted people and been hurt that way? Or are they coming to me because they have not trusted enough people and they're suffering for that? Yeah, or both at different times. Because what people complain about from other people, they've either done it or are doing it right? That's just how it is. So, you know, probably, I think that the commonality in both of those is that they have trouble in their relationships, even relationship to themselves too, because there are people who don't trust themselves. They don't trust their judgment, especially if they were gaslighted when they were mm-hmm. young. They don't, you know, they don't trust decisions. They're afraid to make a decision. Yeah. How do you help people out of that? Mm, like, a, like a, in one sentence? For everything comes from the relationship. It does. You're not going to get anything done without the relationship. If they don't trust you, they're not going to take anything from you. Okay. We have methods and things like that. I, you know, 
that you do with a diagnosis and a form, but nothing's going to happen without the relationship. And they'll know too. We're, we're smart about that stuff. Dogs know if someone doesn't like them. So right. certainly humans do. So if you don't have a love of people and make it all about them, then you, you, you need to work on yourself and don't do this job, you know, your job or my job. If you're there for you, you're there to, to get popular or make money or something like that. You're not going to be very effective for most people. I think, you know, some people really, there was a psychologist, someone told me, he said this, I know of him. He said, some people just need TLC, but, and that sounds, Oh, that's nothing. No, that's big. That's, that's a lot, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause like I've said this before in the podcast, um, techniques account for, I think something like 20, no more than 30% of the variability and whether or not someone gets, so, wow. you know, so what is it? Cause something's happening. Insurance is reimbursed from it because something actually happens and it's really is the relationship. But what does that mean? If I, like I said before, if our heartbeats will even synchronize mm-hmm. when we're close together, what else is going on when two human beings, two spiritual beings, God created beings get into a room with the right focus. Right with God in the midst and then acknowledging his presence. Yeah. And, and in therapy, I think there are three people in the room, the me, the person and the Holy spirit. Right. That is so powerful. And I think that for the people who have overtrusted, for people who have undertrusted, maybe for them to think about who can they trust that they know and how can they trust in God at the same time? Mm-hmm. So there's a, a vertical trust that's got to yeah. come. Lord, I take as much of my of I know about myself and give it to as much as I know about you. And then there's got to be a horizontal trust. And you take an oath as a doctor to be able mm-hmm. to be trustworthy. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I do think that loving your enemy thing uh, removes a lot of the fear though. Because like, look, let's say you do betray me. Mm-hmm. If If I can still truly not just go through the motions, but truly still care about you. I haven't lost anything. Hmm. Not much, at least. Right. Do you know what I mean? Then the fear goes away. Cause if the worst happens, I'm still going to feel that way about you. Right. What do Thanks, you think? Thanks, man. Thanks, bro. Bro hug here right now. <laughs> right here. Air hug. Yeah. Right you know, you, it's funny. Yeah. Jesus, when he went in the garden of Gethsemane and he was facing the ultimate um, laying down the ultimate total surrender saying, okay, God, if this is what it takes to redeem humanity, take it away from me, but not my will, but yours be done. Mm-hmm. And he was in that garden, not alone. He went off by himself, but he went with his closest friends. And then he came back and found his friends after he's sweating blood and dying, agonizing over this. And they're all asleep. And he's yes. like, dude, couldn't you have stayed awake? Don't you know what I'm going through? And so if you have friends who let you down, that just means you have biblical friendships. So good. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And so we place a healthy yes. trust, which doesn't yes. mean throw my complete self all over them and spew on them. Yeah. But it means knowing they're foibled humans too. You know, we really do live in stories, don't we? Right. And, and, that's, and that's, the, the, that's the best story. Mm-hmm. It's the most truthful, useful story. But but when you say this, I realize how little I know about it. You know what I mean? There's so much more. You know, like I, I you ever ask someone like, oh, I read the Bible. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah, I, I already read the Bible. Right, right. Well, you didn't. There's so much in every you, you've read the Bible when you do what you just said. 
when it comes out of the pages and comes into the world through you, that's when yeah. you've read the Bible, begun to read the Bible, I think. Mm -hmm. I heard somebody say, you may be the only Bible someone ever reads. That's, let's see. If that's you're so good, a Christ man. follower. That's so good. I, because the goal really is theosis, right? We need to talk about that more. My job isn't to show up and, you know, just, you know, tithe and all that stuff. That's important. But the most important part is that are we becoming Christ-like? And we have to be honest with ourselves because mm -hmm. we all have a long way to go. All of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it involves trusting God yes. and finding that community that is a trusting community of people you can lean yeah. on and share yourself with trusting. They're not going to stomp all over you. Yeah. Yeah. And I like your language too, because you're going to do this. You're not there to just receive, you will receive, but um, you're there to do that. Trust is a muscle. It's not just a belief. It's uh -huh. an action. It manifests itself in actions, in phone calls. It's not just wishful thinking. You hear it and you do it. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something that we could do this week to demonstrate trust, to reach out in trust of other people and yeah. to entrust ourselves to God. Should yeah. we pray? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are completely trustworthy. Even when we don't understand your ways, Lord, it is good to trust in you. And scripture is full of people saying, I will trust in the Lord, though everything seems like it's going awry, though things seem so threatening, yet will I trust in you, sometimes even in spite of what my senses are telling me. But Lord, there's also this idea of community. Even in Genesis, it says it's not good for man to be alone, but we're designed to be with other people. And so I pray, God, that you would enable us to find some trustworthy friends to lean into that and for us to be trustworthy. It's scary because I know myself. I know that I shouldn't trust myself all the time. And, and that's probably when I'm isolating myself. I pray you would help me not to do that, not to go there, but to trust in you and to trust in those that you bring into my life. Help me to invest in that. Help me to do something about that. Help me to be proactive in that and not to self-isolate in quarantine, which just seems like such a go-to thing and so doable because of our technology and because of our pandemic, which Lord, thank you that some of it is subsiding and that we can be opened up again. I pray God that our hearts would be like our country as we open up and pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Thanks everybody for joining us today. And again, if this is valuable to you and you can support the Shepherd and the Shrink through Patreon. That is a big help to get some of this message out of faith and psychology and theology and therapy. And it's really, really good. And you can get some um, cool swag. The merch and the some, swag. It's all And exclusive videos if you like to watch these things too. And so. funny comments by Marty. Uh, I don't know. Dr. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Shepherd and the Shrink podcast. You can check out the show notes from this episode, get free resources, discover more about our work, and all the ways to subscribe so you never miss an episode of the show. Head over to drmartinfletcher.com.